Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, when a politician resigns in disgrace and heads to prison for taking bribes, former constituents aren't too keen to be friends after the fact. But once upon a time, Hamtramck bursts into celebration at their former mayor's release from prison, throwing him a beer-fueled hero's welcome. Cheers to politics. This is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyard. My name is Darcy Moran. And this is John Counts. We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode, told by MLive reporter Gus Burns, is titled Raise Your Glass. Hamtramck, Michigan, the so-called city within a city, was a two-square-mile suburb completely surrounded by Detroit and bustling because of the auto industry during the waning days of Prohibition. Prohibition was one of America's biggest failed efforts to stomp out vice, namely alcohol, rivaled only by the multi-decade war on drugs. Instituted in 1920, it took the federal government until 1933 to realize they were fighting a losing battle and repeal the law. But during that time, known by many as the Roaring Twenties, America was experiencing an economic boon, leveraged largely by the auto industry, and the same was certainly true in Hamtramck. At the time, the city was exploding with immigrants, particularly Polish immigrants, looking to earn a good wage working at area assembly lines, specifically the Dodge Brothers Assembly Plant, which opened in 1910 on the south side of Hamtramck. Shortly after the federal government started its feudal war on booze, the hero of our story, an immigrant named Dr. Rudolf Gabriel Tenerowitz, made his way to town. Hamtramck was then, and is now, a city filled with alcohol and immigrants. Most residents are within walking distance of at least a couple neighborhood bars, some that have been in operation, even if under different names or ownership, since Prohibition. While there are several dozen small bars operating in Hamtramck today, there were four times as many nearly a century ago. Here's Joe Koshut, vice chair of the Hamtramck Historical Museum. I think at one time Hamtramck had around 200 bars at its highest point, and now I think we have about 35. If you actually like walk around the city and like check out little corners and stuff like that where houses are, you have the little corner houses, and if the doorway is like in the middle of the wall, it's usually at one point it was a grocery store. If it's on the corner, 
that's usually a sign that it was a bar. There, I mean, you could walk around the city and see quite a few of those. Greg Kowalski, a longtime Hamtramck resident and historian, has written a book about the time called Prohibition in Hamtramck, Gangsters, Gunfights, and Getaways. In addition, on the 80th anniversary of the repeal of Prohibition, he wrote in the city's paper of record that, quote, Nowhere was the folly of Prohibition more evident than in Hamtramck. He said, Poles and strong drink have a long tradition of togetherness. So imagine a new immigrant arriving in Hamtramck and suddenly being told he can never have a glass of beer again. Now imagine his response. Yep, you know where you can put Prohibition. So almost immediately, Hamtramck became a center of the illegal liquor trade. Seemingly everybody was brewing beer in the basement or bottling gin literally in the bathtub. Speakeasies were everywhere, barely concealed from the prying eyes of the police. And those eyes could easily be diverted by a few dollars. One of the unintended consequences of prohibition was the growth of organized crime. The mafia quickly saw there was money to be made in the black market through bootlegging, giving rise to infamous gangsters across the country like Al Capone and Lucky Luciano. The opportunities, however, weren't limited to the mafia. Small-town government officials also looked for ways to skim from the profits generated by basement stills and the plethora of speakeasies, often taking bribes or kickbacks to turn a blind eye. At that time, Hamtramck was kind of was kind of a, a wide open, wide open West, and whether you were a politician or a police officer, or you know, it's you just kind of looked the other way. I mean, there actually even there were tunnels. If you go to the new Dodge Bar. In the men's bathroom, there's a hole in the floor that's covered by plastic, but that's where they actually used to run liquor for, uh, in a tunnel that was underneath the uh, underneath Joseph Campo to another building across the street. Another story that I heard was there was a bar. It was next to the police station, and they would hand through the window. They would hand beers over to the to the officials in city hall. So, <laughs> I mean, that kind of goes to show you what you know what what they thought about that. I mean. Basically, you, you know, you just you had a lot of drinking going on and a lot of partying going on, and uh, officials from Detroit would come here, you know, just because it was more low key and people wouldn't find out about them rather than going to a bar in Detroit, you know. And here, if cops caught, you know, saw you going into a bar, most of the time they didn't really didn't say much because that's just sort of how Hamtramck was at the time. And what's actually interesting too, if you if you kind of look at the sort of political history of Hamtramck, you'll notice that a lot of like candidates or you know people who were in office actually had bars so bars were sort of a a meeting place you know for people who were candidates to uh hold meetings and to you know practically to get people to to vote for them although illegal alcohol was interwoven into the fabric of the community and its use was looked down on by few beyond outside law enforcement entities who resented the local government seeming complicitness in the law breaking the situation was so bad that Michigan State Police came into Hamtramck to take over law enforcement, said Kowalski. But the bootleggers would be tipped off to impending raids by politicians and police. If they were shut down, it wasn't for long. The temperance movement used propaganda in an effort to scare Americans away from the bottle. One flyer published in 1920 by the Scientific Temperance Movement claimed 45% of children raised by beer or whiskey drinkers died in the first five years of life. But Hamtramck paid little mind. This Wild West mentality towards Prohibition was a sentiment when Tenerowitz took office. Tenerowitz was born on June 14, 1890 in Budapest, Hungary, and two years later he immigrated to the United States with his parents and settled in Adrian, Pennsylvania. Tenerowitz later obtained a medical degree from Loyola University in Chicago, Illinois, 
where he stayed to practice medicine for more than a decade. He also served as a lieutenant in the U.S. Army Medical Corps during World War I. Tenerowitz moved to Hamtramck to become a surgeon in 1923. A man in his 30s with graying hair but a baby face quickly became friendly with the movers and shakers of Hamtramck, in part because of his role as a prominent surgeon. He then turned his eye towards politics and successfully ran for mayor in 1928. That's where Tenerowitz and his fellow officials come in, ensnared in a corruption probe and accused of accepting bribes in exchange for turning a blind eye to illegal bars operating in the city. While Hamtramck officials were complicit in liquor making and consumption, state police were not fans. State police built the case against then-Mayor Tenerowitz and 12 other officials, including the police chief and a police captain, who were all indicted on bribery charges in 1931. All of the defendants were convicted on vice conspiracy charges, sentenced to three and a half to five years in prison in 1932. They remained free on bond while the case was appealed, and the doctor continued his practice and even ran for his old mayoral seat in 1934. However, on the eve of the general election, the state Supreme Court announced its decision to uphold the convictions of Tenerowitz and his co-defendants. Tenerowitz narrowly lost re-election and handed over his resignation. Here's part of the letter, dated March 30, 1932, as read by Koshut. Although the jury has found me guilty, I feel down deep in my heart and in the eyes of the maker that I am innocent of the charges against me. Eventually, my vindication will be completely established. Even as a convict, the resigned mayor had behind him a large amount of public support, both in Hamtramck and beyond. Tenerowitz's friends across the nation sent telegraphs to Michigan Governor William Comstock requesting a pardon or clemency, but the pleas were ignored, at least in the beginning. Soon after Tenerowitz arrived at Jackson State Prison in March of 1934, a petition with 10,000 signatures requesting his release was delivered to Governor Comstock. By December of the same year, Comstock issued Tenerowitz a full pardon. Oh, Governor Comstock commented that commented on the pardon by saying that Tenerowitz was a victim of political revenge. How did he celebrate his release from prison? Well, let's just say there was plenty of beer. By the time Tenerowitz arrived home, he was greeted by a party of 50 friends, platters of sandwiches, and clanking glasses filled with beer. By now prohibition, the law that played a role in his arrest had been repealed. One of the unique parts of Tenerowitz's story is the hero's welcome the doctor received, despite being tried, convicted, and later pardoned of public corruption. On February 13, 1935, a story headlined, Dr. Tenerowitz Fetted a Huge Homecoming, Big Crowd Jams Kansas Hall to Celebrate Return of Former Mayor of Hamtramck. The former mayor was the guest of honor at what was described as a mammoth homecoming, featuring singers, child prodigies, and tap dancers. The article says Tenerowitz appeared to choke up when he was presented the gift of a brand new Chrysler car. Tenerowitz continued operating his medical practice and in 1936 was again elected mayor of Hamtramck. In 1938, running as a Democrat, Tenerowitz won an unchallenged bid and was elected a representative to the U.S. Congress, where he served until losing his re-election campaign in 1942. He then switched parties, becoming a Republican, and ran unsuccessfully for seats in Congress in five more elections. Tenerowitz died of unknown health causes at age 73 on August 31st of 1963 at St. Francis Hospital, the same hospital he'd kept his office in for the previous four decades. Artifacts from Tenerowitz's residency there, including a medical bag, remain on display inside the municipal building, now Hamtramck City Hall. 
a continuing ode to the doctor and disgraced but beloved mayor. Historian Greg Kowalski called the story a twisted sense of justice, but understandable at the time. He said, quote, You can't expect a law that virtually no one supports to be honored. If there was a great failing, it was that prohibition fostered related forms of corruption. All right, well, this is Darcy Moran and John Counts with Ayo. Michigan Crime <laughs> Stories. You're the worst. Um, and we are sitting here with Gus Burns, who reported the story today. Hey, Gus, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, and thanks for reporting this. Um, just to start out, correct me if I'm wrong, you live in Hamtramck. Yes, I have lived in Hamtramck since 2008, off and on. And so I'm curious how different the atmosphere that you learned about, reported about in that area is from the Hamtramck that you know. Well, I think obviously there are some similarities and some differences. Um, Hamtramck had back then quite a bit more people. I think they had almost twice as many. Right now there's about 25,000 people, so it's a little less populous. But... But it's still very active, like I'm sure it was back then. If you walk down some of the main streets, there are tons of businesses and people shopping and walking around the neighborhoods. But the look of the people is also different because it was usually Eastern European, Polish people. Up until about 30 years ago, it started to change. And now it's predominantly Yemenis and Bangladeshi. But still um, kind of an immigrant uh, city, if you will. Yeah, it remains an immigrant city, and you still get people from Ukraine showing up and people from Eastern European countries that are coming to the U.S. for the first time and filtering into the country through Hamtramck. And there's still a presence of a lot of neighborhood bars in the in Hamtramck, right? Uh, yeah, there's tons of neighborhood bars still. Um, I think from my house I could walk to about three of them within five to ten minutes. And, and one other thing as well, because it seems like one thing that doesn't change in time, um, I found it really interesting in all of this, um, and that is, you know, this is someone that was clearly breaking the law, convicted of it, um, but so beloved, he kind of had a, a really checkered past. I know we were talking before where I uh, came across one story where he'd been recalled or there was a petition to recall him, but this is a politician that kind of struggled in the light, but was so beloved that he still had a a very long storied career in politics after going to prison. And it seemed to me that that is something that people might be able to identify with uh, uh, these days of, you know, the um, fluidity, if you will, of of the love for a politician. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he was given a couple chances at redemption. And it it also is related to this story. I mean, it just reflects on people's disregard for the laws that ban drinking and prohibition of alcohol. Um, Yeah, despite the issues that came up in his life, and and despite the fact that he clearly did something, well, based on the conviction, did something uh, that was illegal and unethical by taking money to help out people who were running bars or running stills in their basement. So, But people looked past that just because they liked him. So I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but what happened? Do you know what happened to some of the other public officials that were taken down in this sting? Not a lot. Um, I did hear that the previous mayor, the the first mayor of Hamtramck, also faced similar charges for similar reasons, helping people hide their alcohol, their illegal alcohol activities from the government. Um, I don't know if the other people were pardoned. I know they all went to the same prison. 
and we're all given the same sentence of at least, at least three and a half years. Uh, but I, I could, honestly couldn't find out if they were released earlier or not. Huh. And the only other thing you might not be able to answer this either, um, when he was when they had the party, they, you said that they had uh, singers and child prodigies. What kind of what kind of child prodigies did they have in Hamtramck and at that time? I can tell you is what comes to my mind, and I just pr- like imagine kids who are really good at piano or tap dancing or dancing or singing, and and the fact that I guess the fact that they're young and good at something just made them a good entertain the good entertainment value in it. Sounds like one hell of a party. <laughs> Well, uh, we will end it there. Cheers to that. And um, thank you again, Gus, for uh, telling this story. I am Darcy Moran. And this is John Counts. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Thanks to you for listening. Michigan Crime Stories is about telling the hidden, unknown, important, or odd stories in the state of Michigan. If you know a story that might fit the ticket or something you'd like to know more about, you can email me at dmoran at mlive.com. That's D-M-O-R-A-N at mlive.com. I'm Darcy Moran, and this is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories.